I was thinking this week about this question. What is it that excites you most about the Christmas season? What is it that just you, you think, if I just had this one thing, I would be happy? As a kid, I remember there's always one gift, one gift that I was convinced if I got this one gift, I would be content and happy for the rest of the year. Did you ever remember have that one gift? I remember this one gift. It was the Hornet. It was a remote control car. With, it was wireless, which was a big deal back in the day. It had interchangeable parts. And I just remember I would cut out magazine clippings and leave it around the house. I would be, I mean, I was very upfront and honest with my parents. Like, this is what I need. <laughs> but there's something that changes in, in our Christmas lists. As a child, this is what I want. As you grow into adulthood, you begin to make a Christmas list based on what you need, right? My oldest son, Andrew, his Christmas list is no longer what I want. It's what I need. I need new tires for my car. I need shoes to train in. I need money to pay off my student loans, right? Like, like our, our Christmas list changed from what I want to what I need. Maybe you're here and you're you're thinking, you know what, Brian, my happiness in Christmas, it doesn't really depend on what I get. It's who's around me. Like, I think there's many moms who say, you want to know what I want? What will make me happy this Christmas? Just have all my family around me safely, right? I think that's what I love about the women's candlelight dinner, actually, that, that happened this last week. Did you ladies, did you, you make it to that? Did you enjoy that? You know, one of the things that would make me happy some Christmas is that we'd have a space big enough where all the ladies can come without a wait list. Anyone run into that problem? If you miss that first Sunday where tickets are on sale, like you're out. Good luck next Christmas. So someday, someday there will be a spot big enough where all the ladies of CDCC could come together and celebrate Christmas together. You know, I was thinking this week about those of us who have a list of this is what makes me happy. I think there might be some people here who's like, you know what, Brian, I don't expect to be happy during Christmas. Maybe it's your first Christmas or you're celebrating without a loved one. Maybe it's your first Christmas that you're experiencing financial trouble and difficulty and challenge and there's just no hope of, your, of you having the Christmas you've always wanted. Maybe, maybe this is the season you always dread coming. Maybe a question for you is, is it even possible to have happiness in Christmas? Maybe a question is, is joy and happiness in Christmas something that all of us can aspire to? And that's what I love about the next story and the next song, the story and song of Elizabeth, the song of joy. If you really want to understand the power of her song, first you need to remember the power of her story, the song of Elizabeth, the song of joy. If you have your Bibles, you can join me in the book of Luke chapter one. And we're going to go back and, and remember a little bit of her story. Last week, we went over the story of Zacharias, right? He was a priest. He was a man who was faithful to the Lord, who had this powerful encounter with Gabriel, a messenger of God. And Elizabeth 
is his wife. Elizabeth has the glorious distinction of being the first lady mentioned in the gospel of Luke. And she was a spectacular woman. In a time where women weren't, giving, weren't given honor, in a time where not many rights or opportunities were afforded to them, listen to how the Bible describes Elizabeth. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Luke 1, 5. says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And look how he describes them. Luke, the author of this book, he says, they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. I mean, Luke makes very clear, he's not just talking about Zacharias. I mean, Elizabeth was a spectacular lady. She was a descendant of the first and greatest priest of all of Israel. But even more spectacularly in the midst of their kooky culture, she is described as being righteous and someone who walked blamelessly before the Lord. That term righteous means faultless, guiltless, someone who is conforming to God's standards perfectly. Blameless describes how she was guiltless and how she lived her life before the Lord. Man, this was a spectacular woman who seemed to be doing everything right in life. And people that you know that seem to do everything right in life, you expect that everything would be right in their life. But there's a big biblical but in verse seven. Man, despite Elizabeth, a descendant of Aaron, a wife of a priest who lives her life in a way that's both righteous and blameless. But look at verse seven, big biblical, but because there's something happened that you're not expecting, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. Man, there's something in us that just has this expectation that somehow God, if you're doing everything right, God is going to make your life a blessing and everything is going to be fantastic peaches and roses in your life. And the fact is what we're surprised and this is a spectacular woman, but everything wasn't right. There's this hole in her heart. This says not only was she barren, but they were both advanced in years. That's the Bible talk. They were up there. Like their time has passed. But as you remember in the story, it's at that point that Zacharias went and had that time with Israel, uh, with Gabriel, a messenger from God. And Gabriel said that Elizabeth's going to have a baby. And that's indeed what happened. Look at verse 24. After these days, Elizabeth's wife became pregnant. She kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me. And look how she describes the actions of God who took away my disgrace among men. Man, Elizabeth's like, finally. Like this first advent, you would say that Elizabeth is happy. She has received the one thing that she has wanted more than anything else. Finally, a child, not to take care of her in her old age, but for her, a child who would take away the disgrace of men, who would cut out and eliminate all the things that people said about me. See, in this day, if you were barren, if you were childless, there was an assumption 
that there's something wrong in your life, that God is judging you, that there's something that you did, your husband did. Of course, nothing's a husband's fault back in that day, which I think is funny because everything's a husband's fault in our day. It's like a big pendulum swing. That was not in my notes, by the way. But it's that moment that gives rise to Elizabeth's song. See, so often we think that Christmas is a celebration of one miraculous conception, but that's not true. The first advent, there are actually two miraculous conceptions. The first, of course, is Mary, and we'll get into that one next week. But the second is Elizabeth, who although her and her husband were advanced in years, that God blessed her with the conception of a baby that would be named John, who would be given the distinctive honor to be the, the forerunner to the Messiah. But her relative, Mary, after Elizabeth was pregnant, her relative Mary got a greeting from Gabriel who promised her a miraculous conception as well. And her son would be the Messiah. And that's where we pick up our story. After Mary, Elizabeth's relative, learned about her birth, she went to her relative Elizabeth. And that's where we pick up the story. Luke chapter 39, or Luke chapter 1, verse 39. Look at what it says. Now at this time, right after Mary learned about her miraculous conception, by the way, she knew about Elizabeth's, Gabriel told her that Elizabeth was pregnant, right? So at this time, with all this information, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. That term greeting, where you greeted Elizabeth, that in our culture, we see that as, hey, Elizabeth, what's up? And you go into her house. But the term greeted in that day, man, that was a process. There's no email. There's no TikTok. There's no social media, no Facebook. There wasn't even mail. I mean, a lot had happened in these ladies' life. And so when, when Mary showed up and greeted, a typical greeting would be first a posture of love, a hug, a kiss, a humble position before recognizing how excited you were to greet them. And then it would go into this long period of catching up this long period of what God had been doing in your life, long period of you describing the, what's been going on with your husband, what's been going on with your children, and this greeting time. And that's what it's talking about. That term, she greeted Elizabeth. This was the time where she just downloaded everything that God had been doing in her life. The time where Elizabeth was downloading everything to Mary that God had been doing in her life. And look at verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. During this greeting, when Mary's talking about everything that God had done in her life, all of a sudden, John, the infant still in the womb, in Elizabeth's belly. Remember, the Bible said he'd be filled with the Holy Spirit Early on, right? All of a sudden, this baby leaped. And you, the, you, the, you ladies who are moms are like, yeah, oh, Brian, that's nothing. Now, Luke, the author of this, he's a doctor, right? This isn't like a kick. 
That term leap actually means bounded and jumped with extreme joy. This was no ordinary baby kick. Like when all of a sudden when Elizabeth heard what God was doing in the life of Mary, this baby just exploded with euphoric joy. And look what else happened. And at the same time, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in our day, we read that and say, oh, no big deal, aren't we all? Not in this day. I mean, people who got the Holy Spirit, they were special, uniquely called for specific tasks that you would require some sort of divine intervention and empowerment to complete. That's what makes the powerful truth that as Christians, you have the Holy Spirit so remarkable. Like that is not just something for you to have that's fun. It's an empowerment for you to complete a role that God has uniquely and divinely called you for and empowered you to. All of a sudden, Elizabeth, who is having an amazing Advent season, she has the baby that she's always wanted. Her relative had this miraculous experience with God. You would think that Elizabeth would break into a song of how much God has been good to her, but that's what makes Elizabeth's song so powerful. See, what happens, it's not a song about her and her baby. It's a song about Mary and her baby. Elizabeth's joy, her song of joy and celebration is not about what God gave her. It was about what God gave her through Jesus Christ. Look what happened after she was filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 42. And meaning as a result, directly after she cried out with a loud voice. Just in case you think this is some soft ballad. You have two ladies together singing this little quiet harmony. That is not what's happening. She cried out in a loud voice. That term cried out. She shouted loudly, cried out. This is a loud scream. But look at what it says. She cried out with a loud scream, with a loud voice. Like this was loud. She was shrieking in praise. This is something that everyone would have overheard. This is something that just suddenly something took over her. And in a mixture of her euphoric joy with divine intervention, she broke out in this song. She said this, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. All of a sudden, the very beginning, Mary, blessed, lifted up. You are lifted up. You are honored. And so is the child that you have inside you. In this mixture of just divine inspiration and euphoric joy, Elizabeth all of a sudden starts celebrating the work of God And then what follows are three reasons why. Three reasons why Elizabeth has joy. And three reasons why I think you and I can and should have joy this Advent season as well. Three reasons. First, verse 43. Mary continues her song and says, And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me. That term Lord, term describes one's master, one's ruler, one's ultimate authority. In fact, that term is used 25 times in the first two chapters of the book of Luke. And every time it's used to describe God. 
So somehow Elizabeth, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, recognizes who this child is. This child's the Messiah, the champion of God. First thing she celebrates, her first reason she has joy in her life is Jesus' purpose. Mary, this child inside of you is the Messiah, the one who will write our lives with God, the one who will fix everything that's wrong in our souls. I want you to see how uh, Jesus is described to Joseph who was betrothed to Mary. Let me show you how, how an angel described the purpose of Jesus. He said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Said, Behold, the virgin shall be with his child and shall bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And the purpose of Jesus from early on was proclaimed. He is going to reconcile people to God by dealing with the sins of their soul. Look at what the Gospel of John says about the purpose of Jesus. Well known song or a verse For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge it, but that he might save it through him. And the first thing that Elizabeth celebrates, the first reason as she proclaims that she is just overtaken by this euphoric joy it's because she recognizes the purpose of Jesus Christ in a mixture of divine inspiration and euphoric joy. First reason for her celebration is the purpose of Jesus. But she continues, look at verse 44. It says, not only for his purpose, but I'm celebrating because of his presence Verse 44, she says, For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Again, verse 44, when we see the word behold, we circle it because it means surprise. It's something that you don't want to miss. It's something you're not expecting. Elizabeth says, Mary, second reason, not only I'm celebrating because of the purpose of Jesus, but because of his presence. And as soon as you became close John leaped, and again, this term leap, it's not a kick, it's a leap for joy, it's a celebration. You know, the presence of Jesus from this point on would always create a stir. When he was an infant or when he was a child, he'd go into the temple and talk about the word of the Lord, and people were amazed at the wisdom and knowledge of Jesus, even as a child. When he was in his earthly ministry, people would walk upwards of 100 miles to be in his presence. They loved to hear him teach, like he taught with authority that no one had ever heard before, as if Jesus was, had firsthand knowledge of the writing of Scripture. Jesus didn't just teach with authority, 
but he touched people's lives with compassion. And then his words. He could heal someone with his words. The lame walked when he spoke. The blind saw when he spoke. The storms of life calmed when he spoke. The very sins of people's lives were forgiven by the words of Jesus. Man, his presence was powerful from the very beginning throughout his ministry. And I was thinking this week, you know, the presence of God that's one of the most notable and numerous promises throughout Scripture. You know that. The promise that God mentions most throughout Scripture, it's not a promise to heal. It's not a promise of fame, of power, of control. It's not even a, a promise of happiness. But it is a promise of presence. When God called Moses to go and free his people from slavery in Egypt. God not only promised Moses power, but he promised him presence. When Moses died and Joshua took over and had to lead the people of God into the promised land, look at what God said to him. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. These are the words of God. To Joshua, and just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Man, the presence of God is something that David celebrated in his 23rd Psalm, right? Look at what he said in Psalm 23, 4. He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. David didn't have any sort of assumption that God would keep him free from the valleys of the shadow of death. But he did say, even though I'm going to have to walk through it, I fear no evil. Why? You're with me. Look what the prophet Isaiah said about the presence of God. Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, surprise, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And look how the gospel of John describes that. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, his presence. And look at the promise that Jesus gave as he was preparing to ascend into heaven. He looked at his disciple and he said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And the presence of God is something that God has promised to a select few for so often in the Old Testament. What makes Advent so special is that God has now made it available to each and every one of us. Elizabeth, having the best Advent of her life, the best Christmas season where she finally has the child that she's been longing and praying for, she goes into a divine, divinely inspired euphoric song of joy and praise, not because of what God gave her, but because of what God gave Mary and what God gave all of us. She says, I'm celebrating. I'm filled with joy. Number one, because of the purpose of Jesus. Number two, because of the presence of Jesus. I was wondering, 
You find a hard time finding joy in this kooky culture? You find joy and fulfillment based on things? You feel empty in your heart and your soul? You don't have the house you want. You don't have the car you want. Your kids aren't behaving like you want. You don't live in the place you want. You don't have the leader that's elected that you want. And so we just get down. Elizabeth comes and says, here's why I have joy. Because Jesus is here. And I know what he's accomplished. According to Elizabeth, if you want to have true joy, it's not found in the goodness of your life. It's found in the power of his life, in the life of Jesus Christ. The third reason why Elizabeth is filled with joy, is celebrating at this time, it's found in verse 45. It's not just his purpose, it's not just his presence, but it's also his promise. Verse 45 She says, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. The term blessed in verse 45 is different than the term blessed in verse 42. In verse 42, it means to be lifted up. In verse 45, a completely different word in the Greek. It means to be completely fulfilled, to have everything completed and to have complete rest. And what God has given in your life. That term fulfillment means to be completed and to be completed to perfection. Believing that everything that God says he will do, he actually will do. And that's what Elizabeth is celebrating. Not just the presence of Jesus and the purpose of Jesus, but the promise. She says, blessed, fulfilled are you, completely content and completed And contextually, we know this is about Mary, but it's written in a way that can be understood for all of us. Blessed is the one who believes. Blessed is the one who believes, as if it's possible that if we believe in the promises of Jesus, that we can be fully complete, content, and fulfilled. If you've ever uh, been bored at home wondering what to study in your Bible, look up the promises of Jesus. There's a lot of them. Here's just a few. Matthew chapter four is one thing Jesus promised. He said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Man, if you follow me, if you pick up your life and you follow me, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. Number two, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Here's a good one. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You're tired. You're worn out. You're just exhausted of trying to please everybody and please God on your own merits, on your own efforts. She says, come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You have nothing else to prove, nothing else to do. Just come and allow me to fill you, perfect you, redeem you, and empower you. Come to me. I'll give you rest. Look at John 6. All that the Father gives me, Jesus says, will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Man, isn't that a great promise? If you you go to Jesus, 
He's not going to throw you away. One of the biggest concerns I hear from people is maybe I'm not good enough for the Lord. Man, if God actually sees everything that I've done, if Jesus knows my past, my failures, my fears, my worries, if God still sees my greed, if God still sees my need to control, if God still sees that I have this angry core at the very uh, center of my life, man, if God sees that stuff, there's no way Jesus will accept me right here as his promise. Man, if you come to me, I won't cast you out. Look at John 14. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Another promise, Jesus is coming back for all of his people and he will not miss one. Not one will escape his presence. Not one will escape his return. Not one will escape his mercy. And here's the other side of that though. Not one will escape his judgment. Elizabeth in this mix of her own joy and celebration filled with the Holy Spirit and this divine inspiration enters into this song, spontaneously writes this poetic message. Not only why she is filled with joy, but why you can be filled with joy as well. Because of what she knows of the purpose of Jesus because of what she's experienced in the presence of Jesus and what she believes will happen if we will simply believe in the promises of Jesus. I was thinking this week about things that I'm happy about in my life. Man, I'm, I'm happy that I've been married to Gretchen 28 years. I'm happy with my four boys and the things that they have achieved and accomplished in their life. I'm happy in my relationship in this church. And I am thrilled that I've been able to do life and ministry with you for 20 years. I'm happy at what I've seen even this last year of what God has done in our midst and through our ministry, not just in the Chino Valley, but around the world. And I gotta tell you what, I'm happy that I'm living in kooky California. And I know everyone's not. I know some people can't imagine ever moving here. And I know some people can't imagine why they never left. I love it. Where else can you be in the beginning of September and have 70 degree weather and clear skies? Where else can you live in the very pit of darkness and have an opportunity to reflect the glory of God and still be able to go home to the protection and safety of your family. Man, I got to say, there's nowhere like California. I look at my life this week. I'm happy. But can I tell you, happiness is temporary. Happiness is dependent on something that's going on in my life at the moment. I got to tell you, I'm happy with my boys. There will come a time where my boys will choose to love someone else more than me. There may be a time. I'm praying that there's a time. 
Ladies are right up here. <laughs> Taking applications. You know, and there's times where ministry between you and I isn't always easy, right? Sometimes we disagree. Sometimes we struggle. Sometimes we disappoint one another. Sometimes living in California isn't all peaches. Every time I fill up my gas tank, a little bit of my happiness is just whittled away. <laughs> I was reading in the paper this week that Chino and Chino Hills is looking at adding 1% sales tax. Oh, you didn't read that. Sorry, Ray. <laughs> you don't like that. Come talk to Ray Marquez right up front. No, don't talk to Ray Marquez right up front. Never mind. But here's the thing. See, happiness is temporary. But here's the difference between joy. See, biblical joy isn't dependent on what's happening in my life. Joy is dependent on what's happening because of the life of Jesus. Look what Jesus said in John 15. He said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I mean, you want joy? Not happiness that's temporary. Not happiness that's depending on tax rates, gas prices, grocery bills, success of your children, complete agreement all the time with your friends. Man, that is temporary joy. Joy comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why we light our second candle. Remembering the joy that's available to you and to me. Not based on where we live. It's not based on what our life is like. It's based on who our relationship is with. May the joy of the Lord fill your life. May you be able to celebrate this season in the exact same way Elizabeth celebrated that first Advent so many years ago. Celebrating the purpose of Jesus who reunited you with God. The presence of Jesus and the promise of Jesus that he will never leave you nor forsake you. That what he has begun, he will complete it in your life. And then when everything's said and done, he will return and you will see him again, either, either here, there, or in the air, as my grandma would say. That's why we celebrate communion. It's a reminder of the promise of Jesus. There's two elements that are here. The bread, which is symbolic of the body of Christ that he broke and said, this is symbolic of my body broken for you. It's a symbol of his dedication and of his commitment. Jesus didn't see heaven as something to be held onto above and beyond you. No, no, no. He left heaven, humbled himself, took on the form of his own creation for the sole purpose of being present with you and sacrificing his life for you. And eat this bread in dedication, in remembrance of the dedication that Jesus has for you. And the cup, Jesus said, this cup is symbolic of a new covenant poured out in my blood for you. The blood of Christ not only 
what enables you to be declared righteous and free from your sin, but it empowers you to be restored in relationship with God, redeemed from your failures, empowered with the Holy Spirit, and called an instrument of God's glory in this culture and days to come. Communion, this table, Jesus says, available for all Christians. Everyone who has received the joy of the Lord, everyone who is wanting to have that celebration in their life, everybody who has committed their life to him, who has repented of their failures and received his gift of mercy, this table is open for you. In just a moment, our ushers will dismiss your row. And my invitation is to come and take the elements, take them back to your seat so we can take them together as we're called to, as a family, saved by the dedication and sacrifice of Jesus and empowered to be a reflection of his glory together until he returns. Come forward now.